Okay, it's January, which means in the scope of the church year, it's time for us to hear again about the call of the disciples. January, Jesus has been born, Jesus has been baptized, and out of those waters, Jesus comes to call together the first disciples. It's always this time of year that the multiple call stories of Scripture are sort of stacked up like dominoes to reinforce how God has been active in creation, calling God's people to service in God's church. It is in this time of year that we see Jesus calling those disciples, those ones who will journey with him, who will witness his most amazing teaching, who will watch as he heals the multitude, who will participate with him as he feeds the multitudes, as Jesus calls together those who will eventually watch him die. And those very same few who will be surprised as Jesus escapes the clutches of the grave, as Jesus calls together those who will then turn around to go out into the world to share that good news with people. Each January, as we begin a new year, we have the opportunity to be reminded of how Jesus' story begins as we watch Jesus collect his motley crew together. This year, we get to walk with John and see how John does it. And John is a little bit different. He constructs his story differently than Mark and Matthew and Luke. In the other Gospels, they're at the beach, and Jesus calls people away, and they just drop their nets, and they go. They walk away so they can skim through their fishing for people evangelism manuals. In John's gospel, we don't see Father Zebedee left dumbstruck and abandoned in his boat while the backs of his sons disappear on the horizon. In John's gospel, the last of the four to be written, the disciples don't just get up and go at the drop of a net without a word when Jesus calls. In the Gospel of John, it is John the Baptist who sends the first disciples to Jesus' side. The way John tells it, John the Baptist is standing with a few of his disciples. I like to imagine that they were enjoying a sweet treat of honey-covered locusts. When he spies Jesus walking past, Look, here is the Lamb of God, he announces to the disciples who are with him. The Lamb of God. Those words have special significance in the lives of these early believers. The one for whom they are looking is here, just hanging in their ears. What should they do? They're with their rabbi, their teacher, their friend. John the Baptist had his own disciples, and here he is announcing that the Lamb of God is here. Should they stay? Should they go? What should they do? And so I imagine that they begin to walk away from John the Baptist following Jesus, you know, kind of back aways, because they're so curious about what the Lamb of God is going to do. Where is he going? Who is he going to talk to? But their excitement gets the best of them, I think, and they can't keep from creeping closer and closer until finally Jesus just can't ignore them anymore, and he has to turn around 
And he says, what are you looking for? Rabbi, where are you staying? They don't ask if he is the Lamb of God. They ask a very human question. Where are you staying? And Jesus responds, come and see. Come and see. Daddy, Daddy, guess what? I've built a snowman. Do you want to see it? Do you want to see it? Oh, I don't really know, honey. I really need to finish this sermon. This is how the story went this week. Oh, Daddy, come and see it. Come and see. How can you resist that invitation? An excited seven-year-old saying, come and see. Come and see. I tried. I really did. But I didn't work out. I ended up outside in the cold, enjoying the first snowman in a snowball or three. That's how it goes with the best of invitations, right? Try as we might. We know we have other things to do, but we just can't ignore it. Come and see. Come and see. Jesus' simple invitation. Come and see. An invitation that I think changed the world. We don't know what the disciples saw when they followed Jesus that day. The text doesn't tell us. Did he teach? Did he perform miracles? We don't know. What we do know is that what they saw was enough to send them out into the world to invite others to come and see so they too could come to know Christ. Andrew brings Simon. Philip, who was called by Jesus the next day, wastes no time going out to invite others. Nathaniel, we have found the one about whom Moses wrote. He comes from Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Apparently, telling someone from Galilee that the Lamb of God is from Nazareth is like telling someone from Cleveland that their next star quarterback is from Pittsburgh. (laughs) To a Galilean, Nazareth was nowhere. Nazareth was nothing. A Nazarene was a nobody. Nazareth was a dump. It didn't feature in any Old Testament prophecies. It wasn't the seat of any power, and no great families hailed from Nazareth. It was simply a backwater town in the middle of nowhere, and a Galilean would have nothing to do with it. But there's Philip. Come and see! He's from Nazareth! A simple invitation that somehow moved Nathaniel just enough to follow Philip. To Nathaniel's skepticism, Jesus says, I saw you, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. (laughs) I couldn't ignore this part of the text because I just find it so strange. I saw you under the fig tree before before Philip called you. I spent most of the week trying to figure out what these words meant. And finally, I found one, one 
scholar who talked about them. Apparently, according to the scholar, standing under the fig tree is an ancient idiom. It symbolized comfort and blessing. It apparently was used quite often, though only one scholar talked about it. It was used quite often in the Old Testament to refer to being home, or you had arrived, that everything was good in the world. So to Nathaniel, Jesus says, I see that you have arrived, that everything is right in your world, and yet you have come searching me out. He sees that Nathaniel is standing in that space of privilege, standing in that space of having his world make sense, and yet he's skeptical. Maybe his comfort fuels his skepticism. Jesus recognizes this and maybe sees through that comfort to a little bit of dis-ease. Maybe he recognized a certain dis-ease with the way things were that left Nathaniel yearning for more. Isn't that how it is? Even those of us who are comfortable, who have on the surface arrived, there's always that certain amount of dis-ease that leaves us open to searching for what really matters. And all it takes is someone to say, come, come and see. Come and see greater things than these. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The other gospel writers make it clear that when Jesus calls his disciples, he has definite plans for them. Follow me. I'm going to make you fish for people. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. But here in John, Jesus is not telling us what to do. Here, the call to follow Jesus is an invitation to keep our eyes open and to see how God is active in the world. Jesus does not say, to begin with, there are seven habits of highly successful disciples. Jesus does not say, if you believe this and this and this, then you can come along. Jesus does not say, follow me and your life will be perfect and healthy and everything you have will increase. Jesus does not say, follow me and I will show you exactly where we are going. Jesus simply says, come and see. The invitation is open-ended. It is corporate and it is individual. It is to all of us and it is to you and to you and to you and to you, to you, to you, and to me. What does this open-ended invitation mean for us who have somehow, somewhere experienced a call to come and see. It means, I think, that we have enormous freedom and a huge responsibility. It means 
that we are more than likely not going to see the same thing. Come and see is an invitation that gives an enormous amount of freedom to those who would respond. Made in the image of God and called by Jesus Christ, we are free to discern how we will respond. We are free to move forward and to make choices about how to use our God-given gifts in the realm of Jesus' work on earth. Sure, Jesus left us plenty of clues about what it means to follow by the company he kept among the sinners and the outsiders. He left us clues by what he said about the political and religious systems and how he ran up against them and questioned their authority. He left us a lot of clues about what it means to be a follower by his healing presence among all kinds of people, wherever they were, by what he said about money and humility, by the stories he told that made us think for ourselves. We are given lots of information about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, but none of it is a clear map that says, go five steps forward, then turn right, and then go left, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. Jesus said, come and see. Come and see how God is at work in the world. And then left them to figure it out. Jesus says to us, come and see how God is active leaving us free to respond according to how we experience our calling. On this Sunday, when we, partic- when we are particularly mindful of the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., I'm reminded of a story written some years ago by Andrew Young about our freedom to respond. Young recalls it was Easter Day in 1963, and he was marching with a crowd from New Pilgrim Baptist Church to the Birmingham jail, where Dr. King and a host of other preachers and ministers were behind bars. The purpose of the march was to gather outside the jail and to sing a few songs and to have a word of prayer. But on their way to the jail, Andrew Young and the thousands of other marchers were blocked by police barricades, barking dogs, and fire trucks. Police Chief Bull Connor demanded that Andrew Young and the others disperse the crowds and turn around. Andrew Young says, I know I didn't want to turn the march around, whatever the consequences. So to get myself together, and as a holding action, I told people to get down on their knees to pray. While this was going on, another leader and I went up to try and reason with Chief Police Bull Connor, and we were pleading our case with him while the people behind us were still on their knees praying fervently, when all of a sudden one of the most faithful and fearless leaders of the Birmingham movement jumped up and hollered, the Lord is with this movement. We are not going on, we are going on to the jail, off your knees. And everyone in the first rows got up and started walking right toward the barricades and the masked police. Stunned at first, the police chief yelled, Stop them! Stop them! But the police didn't move a muscle. I've never seen anything like it, 
Young continues. They stood there watching us as if they were transfixed. Even the police dogs that had been growling and straining at the leash when we first marched up became perfectly calm. The firemen, with their fire hoses, just stood there. We walked right past them. And Connor yelled, Turn on the hoses! Turn on the hoses! But they didn't move. I saw one fireman, literally with tears in his eyes, just let the fire hose drop to his feet. Our people marched right between the red fire trucks, singing, I want Jesus to walk with me. As a member of our crowd yelled out loudly, God's done it again, parted the Red Sea. We marched down to the park across from the jail where we reconvened to sing to the people in the jail. Connor stood there cussing and fussing. His policemen had refused to arrest us. His firemen had refused to hose us. His dogs had refused to bite us. Come and see greater things than these. Come out from under your fig tree. Come out of your comfort zone. Come and see how God needs your voice. Come and see some of us huddled together in prayer and some of us proclaiming loudly, God is on our side and it is time. We are moving on. We have been invited, but we do not all see the same thing when we follow. Sure, some of us will see paths that lead us to participate in marches, like the ones Dr. King organized. Others of us will hear a call to take better care of the earth. Some will hear Christ calling to care for the sick and the hurting. Some will hear a call to teach. Some will hear a call to feed the multitudes. Some will hear a call to offer radical hospitality. I don't know what you will see. I don't know what you will hear. But I do know that Christ is calling you. That Christ is calling us to come and to see to come and see how God is active in the world. Come and see the world as God sees it, and then let us rise together and live into that vision. There is a national holiday tomorrow honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., not so much because of what he did, which was amazing. Not so much because of even what he said, which was powerful, We have a holiday tomorrow because of what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. saw. King was able to look through the imaginative eyes of God to see a world in which people had, in his own words, a divine dissatisfaction. Let us be dissatisfied, he said, until those that live on the outskirts of hope are brought into the metropolis of daily security. 
And when our days become dreary with low, hovering clouds of despair, he continued, let us remember that there is a creative force in the universe, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Come and see greater things than these. No matter how we may experience our own call into discipleship, I hope that a brighter tomorrow is something each of us can hope for. Come and see, Jesus bids us, and you will see greater things than these. Amen.